cake. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. No, me being a model, see? I've got to keep thin. <laughs> Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. One of the most amazing sights of this cricket season, surely, has been to see... Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Well, to me, I look at it as just one big comedy. Slice of cake and a cup of tea. Hello there, you chirpy crickets. It's Chappy, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 202. Would you ever thought we'd made it as far as this? And here we are again, as happy as can be. All good friends and jolly good company. So, have you tried organic eggs before? I highly recommend them. Because they have a deep, rich, goldy, orange colour to them when you crack them. Now compare those to just common old garden eggs that you get from any supermarket. They're just like slightly pale, almost a decrepit type of yellow. A yellow that needs a little bit more oomph to it. And uh, the, the, the richness of these organic eggs, I mean people say what, egg schmegs. Get your dozen, get your get your two dozen eggs. I think I've got like probably 55 or 60 eggs at the moment. I get very panicky, I get very shaky when I'm down to about 20 eggs. And I was a couple of weeks ago, I have to say. And you probably heard it in my voice on the podcast that I was a little bit flabbergasted that it got to the point of just having 20 eggs. But try the organic ones though. They're so much better. How about a duck egg? The richness of a duck egg is truly marvellous. It makes quite a difference though. I mean, maybe it makes me wonder if you got an organic chappy. Would it be richer? Would the content be richer? Would it be a lovely sort of hue, colour to chappy? Possibly, who knows. It is marvellous to have you here again on the podcast. Another edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese for your delectation and indeed your delight. Hope you're having a lovely weekend. Here it's a little bit gloomy. So yesterday I made the terrible error. It was a schoolboy error, to be honest. Not that I was wearing little blazer that was too small for me and trousers that were too short. Although 20, 30 years on from that, I'm still wearing trousers that are a bit too short, but that's because of the short legs. The short pegs. Oh, good God, he's got short pegs. And I truly do. Yeah, but it's very much a schoolboy era playing golf and just a... Uh, I put a sweater on. Uh, had trousers on. Because you can't really golf without trousers. It always is always very fearful because if you do hit an errant sort of bunker shot, I hit a shank... And you get a ricochet. You, you, you don't want you don't want the golf ball. You want some sort of protection. I'm not talking about a cricket box or something, but uh, you need some sort of protection from uh, any sort of uh, dodgy ricochet. And have you ever tried to spell ricochet? Now that's an interesting one. Uh, Apple uh, Apple spelling uh, on the phone couldn't find ricochet. And maybe it's the way I said. I mean, this is pronounced ricochet, isn't it? The ricochet, ricochet, ricochet. I mean, maybe that's how you have in, in the in the Google or Apple uh, US version. Maybe it has to be ricochet for it to understand. 
But yes, no, I got very, very sunburned. I didn't put any sunscreen, but it was cloudy. That was a very silly error. Had the hat on. But my neck is as red as rouge. It's a rampant rouge today, my neck. And I'm trying to find something. I haven't got any aloe vera to rub onto the neck. So it's like so raw. Every time I move it, and if you've got a sort of thick neck like I do, every time you sort of move it and it wrinkles, it bloody hurts. So I think I've got a little bit of sunstroke. Plus I'm not drinking enough water because my, uh, my entire fridge freezer is packed to the rafters. And uh, if I try to open it up, something falls out. And if something falls out, the whole house of cars occasionally comes tumbling down. It needs to all be taken out. Mean, my mother said to me the other day, it needs to be taken out and restacked and reorganized. Well, that's probably true, but it sounds awful. I think you get a, a, a tremendous amount of accomplishment, though, if I did sort of take it out, restack it, and reorganize it. Much as my life, if I sort of take my life apart, restack it, and reorganize it, it will give you an amazing sense of fulfillment. But I can't get to the ice machine. There's, there's, there's probably enough ice to uh, sort of reinvigorate the North or South Pole from global warming in my freezer, but I can't get to it. And the fear is, if I take, uh, if I take anything out, it's all going to come down. It's going to be basically freezer Jenga. I'll be there forever, just stacking and unstacking. And then you sort of squeeze things in, you wedge things in to hold other things in. And I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's you need a tremendous speed of foot. Because if a frozen piece of meat, if a packet of frozen chicken comes down, it hits you on the toes, but I'm not wearing any slippers at the moment. You, you could be off, you'd have to have your feet up for several weeks. That could be a broken toe, several broken toes. Well, certainly a broken pinky. It's quite scary stuff, really. But I haven't been drinking enough water because I've, I've, I've become an American. I need ice in my water. I cannot handle ice without a couple of cubes at least. Or maybe even half a bottle of cubes of ice. So your dearest host is uh, dehydrated, a little bit frazzled today, uh, sunburnt on the neck, uh, and... Um, incredibly tired so I may fall asleep at the microphone and you're probably thinking well you know what chappy that may not be a bad thing the content could be better anyway I better go and find myself some ice I may be back to the microphone uh, in a few minutes or uh, or possibly not because I may uh, be nursing a broken foot from a uh, frozen ground venison basically almost uh, crushing my small dainty feet so yesterday on the podcast we discovered that it's impossible to fool an american eating a bratwurst to eat a bratwurst rather than a hot dog they can sense a hot dog or smell a hot dog uh, or know what they're going to be devouring in terms of a hot dog probably from about 100 yards yeah never try to fool an american that is their thing the hot dog is their thing what is more holy than my boxer shorts i think my golf glove is but I'm not going to try to squeeze into the golf glove. I mean, that would be pro- that would be problematic. I mean, I guess I could wrap the holy box of shorts around my hand. Uh, also, one of my neighbours drives an Alco Popmobile with Alco Pops. 
and I was hazarding a guess, do you think he's stopped by the police more times than any normal person as well? How great's a company, a phone company that's main selling point that it has US-based customer service? Yes, these are fantastic things that we had on the podcast uh, the other day here. Uh, today, though, I still haven't got a pool. Apparently, they're mixing the chemicals up, and that may take a long time. I know, first world problems. Uh, and then the curry smell is really the anti-aphrodisiac. Have you ever thought about a rideshare system called Hitchhike? Yeah, we got Lyft, we got Uber. How about Hitchhike? I better go and copyright that quickly before you buggers take that one from me. Also, uh, there's uh, the AI elves have been sharing for me, uh, manscaping, basically uh, shaving a lemon. So they're demonstrating how to manscape by shaving a lemon and also a fairly hairy kiwi fruit. Well, I think I'm probably more of a hairy kiwi fruit than a lemon. Let me put it that way. Um, have you ever sat on a ball whilst working? Apparently, that's the best way to get work done these days is sitting on one of these uh, aerobic balls whilst working. I had a dream the other day that I forgot toiletries. Uh, more news from my the infamous Bedman. Uh, the Greek bedman. I am an expert in lepidotary, uh, but uh, you know what? I think it's all a bit of a fake, really, because I've spotted two of the most common butterflies, and you've got a good chance if you see a butterfly and you and you mention that the two most common butterflies, you could be 50% right. Um, also, coming along the way on the podcast, may have some very British problems, and I may be rating another plate. It's basically people taking pictures of food and putting them on Twitter, and everybody else roasts their roasts. I made a lovely curry the other day, but I found though, and this is my old adage, it's like if you're eating garlic. If you're eating garlic, the other person has to have garlic. If you're having curry, and I made a Thai yellow curry the other day, chicken, lots of vegetables, broccoli, sprouting broccoli, rice, everything else. But if you're eating that, and it doesn't matter if you eat it at lunchtime and there's a five hour gap between you seeing your partner, it doesn't matter. You're still gonna stink a curry. Now, I uh, cleaned my tongue, I tongue scraped, I mouthwashed, I scrubbed the teeth twice, I had a shower, I washed my hair, I wore different clothes, but I still smelled a curry. And curry, as it turns out, and it's delicious, it's one of the best foods in the world, I love it. But your partner needs to eat it too, if you're going to, if you're going to do it. Because you're not going to have a fun weekend, or a fun Friday night, if the other person doesn't have curry. The curry smell is an anti-aphrodisiac. It really is. It doesn't matter how much you cloth yourself, wash yourself down, have Listerine. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. Um, I mean, I, I got into severe trouble, but I not only smelled of curry. I used a cloth that was on the sink to wipe my mouth, and the, the the mention was, "You're so vain, you probably think that cloth is for you." That's exactly what it said, with a smile and a slight snarkiness. And let me say this again: the cloth was on the side. I think I wet my, I could wet and uh, clean up my rather drippy mouth from toothpaste. And it was said, "You're so vain, you probably think that cloth is for you." Good morning. My name is Konstantin, customer service bedroom store. I call it Gregory Repair Your Bed. 
could you call me back, please? We make an appointment. What day is good for you? I come in and fix your problem. The discussion is, was the problem fixed? Well, the bad man came. The Greek bad man came over and uh, looked at the problem and sort of looked into my soul almost as, how the hell did you break this bed? And then he looked at the problem in the very flimsy pieces of metal. And I said, with normal use, with normal use, with two people in the bed, what do you expect? It's never going to hold. You know, I'm a bigger fella. It needs to be a little bit more stability on the bed to hold it. So he's going to make the, uh, the feet of the bed, the metal pieces, a little bit more stable. He's going to reinforce them, basically. He looked me up and down and he said, these need to, to be reinforced. So this is a discussion I had with my love here after the bed man, after the Greek bed man left. He took the metal frames. The bed was being held up by these slender metal pieces that broke off. He said it was not very sturdy as he looked me up and down. It could have been installed incorrectly or just vigorous activity. He says he needs to talk to his manager, needs manager approval, but will make it more sturdy or possibly replace it. Uh, but the problem could be we could have another bed that's very, very flimsy and it could break again. So I've had the bed on the floor for the last three weeks here. I, I don't mind it actually. I've actually been sleeping a little bit better. Anyway, her answer to this whole diatribe was, well, totally, well, he seems on top of it. And I said, much like how I was when we broke the bed. So I had a dream the other day, and we like analysing dreams here on the podcast, uh, but it was a dream that I forgot my toiletries. I had clothes, I had my clothes, but I didn't have any of my toiletries. Medicines, lotions and potions, all of that stuff. So forgetting things in a dream, on the opinion of a large number of dream books, is a symbol of the fact that at the moment, not everything's going smoothly with your self-organisation. Although some interpreters claim the plot speaks of relieving the burden of problems and worries. According to Miller, though, if you not only forget yourself, but even if you do not remember where it happened, this is a symbol of a pleasant purchase. Moreover, it will be quite spontaneous and not quite necessary. The joy the buying process will bring you will be quite great. Lost clothes in a dream is a sign that you do not hide any information from anyone. You don't do have no personal secrets. The dream books take into consideration which items are forgotten. A shopping bag, forgotten a dream, family hassle. To see in a dream that you've lost a bag with documents, no need to start new cases. Lost something from clothes, revealing secret information about you. Losing products, excessive costs. Leaving a toy somewhere in a dream, parting with illusions. Properly forgotten during a journey is a signal that you're missing something important in a hurry. The dream book of Preacher Loft warns, if you dream that you forgot things in the train, you should not plan any trips because such dreams promise distraction in business. If you get back your suitcase forgotten in a train, this means that somebody will help you cope with your problems and tasks. Medea's dream book states, if you found a suitcase forgotten on a train, this plot suggests that you'll be able to gather your efforts and put things in order. According to the Eastern Dream Book, uh, if you dream that you forgot some things, but then you remembered about the loss and returned after them, such a plot means unwillingness to get rid of what many consider unnecessary. For example, habits, skills, etc. 
The Wanderer's Dream Book gives a fallen interpretation of such a plot. Somebody prevents you from realizing your aspirations and desires. However, you feel the situation you know when you go forward and when to slow down a bit and wait. Returning to the thing but not finding it is a harbinger of breaking old ties, Medea's Dream Book warns. Dreams about forgetting stuff in a cemetery. I mean, who goes into a stuff? <laughs> oh yes, that's where I've put my. That's where I've put my uh, great uncle Cedric. I've left him in the cemetery in his coffin. So dreams about forgetting stuff in the cemetery have the most positive interpretations, as the interpretation of Nostradamus predicts. If you see that you left your heavy bags at the cemetery, <laughs> yeah, I've left some of my baggage at the cemetery. It's, it's called the bad side of the family. If you left your heavy bags at the cemetery near the grave, you can breathe freely. When you wake up, the end of problems and failures have come. What prevented you from living in peace and joy will be the past soon. I decide, though, to dream that you fell into the toilet. I mean, I haven't dreamt. I've never dreamt about falling into the toilet, into the garderobe, into the lavatoire. But if you dream that you fall into the toilet because it has no cover or opening that is too big, suggests that you will make careless mistakes due to your complacency. Well, thank God. I'd hate to fall into the toilet. The bad dream foretells that you'll encounter a task at work or school where you believe you'll have it in the hole. But at least they could provide a toilet duck or something. This is a headline I saw in the week. Would you flaunt your bra when you're over 45? Well, yes, of course. Where else would I show off the moves? Cleavalicious. And also a cookbook from 1747 containing the first ever English recipes for curry is set to fetch up to $5,000 at auction. It calls for a rabbit or fowl and involves onions, peppercorns, rice and roasted coriander seeds, but no ginger, garlic or chili pepper. Well, this could solve my problem of uh, curry being the anti-aphrodisiac. Another recipe for pelo, now called pilau, has pickled pork, Fowls, cloves, white pepper, onions, rice, and is finished with hard-boiled eggs. The historic culinary gems are found in a recipe book called The Art of Cookery, made plain and easy when it was bought in a London china shop 275 years ago. The recipe would become one of Britain's most popular dishes called Curry the India Way, was written by Hannah Glasse under the pseudonym of a lady. At one time, the book belonged to former soldier John Le Mesurier, who became the last hereditary governor of Alderney in the Channel Islands. The recipe is just one of many collections that includes some of the earliest examples of French cooking and even a doctor warning people about the dangers of tea and coffee. The uh, collection was carefully created over 40 years by the late Caroline Crisford, who is a passionate collector of top cookbooks. It offers unique insights into cooking and charts progression in Europe. The whole collection uh, is auctioned by London-based form auctions on Thursday could collect up to $100,000. Another rare gem in the collection is a French cook written by the founding father of French cuisine, François-Pierre Leverin. So made me think the other day. So I, we, I took a baguette onto the golf course again. Yes, I took a baguette. And it was a fairly sizable baguette. But you don't want to be carrying this around in your golf cart, golf buggy, with like a baguette sticking out. So, I mean, maybe the godfather of French cooking would suggest this as well. You can actually fold a baguette. You don't want to break it. If it's too crusty, there could be like pieces of baguette everywhere. But a nice baguette that's crusty on the outside and a little bit dowy in the middle, you can actually fold up the baguette and, and put it into your golf bag. So when you pull out the driver, 
when you pull out the big dog, you might also pull out your baguette. In other news, a uni student eats dog food for breakfast, lunch and tea and then hides the packets. A university student had confessed to eating dog food for breakfast, lunch and dinner in the hopes to save himself money. The anonymous man explained that he turned to his bizarre diet after he was dared to eat a bowl. Not smoke a bowl, eat a bowl. I mean, we're talking students, so maybe you're smoking a bowl as well. And this kept her up since he was running out of money. The man wrote, so I'm currently in college and since I'm as broke as F, I've resorted to free dog foods. I started eating dog food when my friend dared me and I love it. Since that day, I eat dog food at least once a day. Note that it's only dry dog food. Yeah, I don't think I could do the gelatin dog food. Even as I was very hungry. Maybe if I was very hungry, I might do it. I mean, they have some great flavors like duck and sweet potato. Maybe I'd try that. His eyebrow-raising meals haven't gone unnoticed by his flatmates who have questioned why he has so many bags of dog food with one left flabbergasted when he admitted the food was for him. Well, when you get the munchies after smoking the bowl, maybe dog food's good enough. Taking to Reddit, the man wrote, When one of my friends visited my room and saw heaps of dog food, he asked me, I told him it's for me. And they, and they raised a quizzical eyebrow. Talking uh, to the online forum, the Onomon student explained that he's now questioning just how healthy it is to replace human food for dog food. Many were stunned. Inexpensive dog food is loaded with full ingredients that are barely digestible. Basically, you will poop more out and not get the nutrients you're expecting. It's also not subject to the same regulations as human food. It often contains ground-up animal parts like chicken beaks, bones and feathers. Expensive dog food made with quality ingredients would not have these issues but that kind of defeats the purpose of saving money. There are ways to eat human food very frugally. Rice and beans can go a long way uh, and going to taste a lot better than dog food and give you even more balanced diet. It's probably even cheaper than eating puppy chow. I wonder though, if you give an adult dog puppy chow, they get the squits. I mean, does the same thing happen to a student if the student's eating puppy chow? Pet food is not subject to the same health and quality standards or quality control as human food, said a Reddit user. One of, the, one of the top concerns, Healthline previously warned that humans risk developing foodborne illnesses if they eat dog food. Dog food isn't designed for a unique nutrition needs of humans. It's made from ingredients that are technically safe for humans to eat. Yes, you could get a beak stuck in your throat. So beware elderly Americans who are enticed into whiskey scam by British accents. Um, a Brit who flew across the United States posing as a whiskey expert has been arrested on suspicion of being part of a $13 million fraud where salesmen with British accents allegedly duped elderly Americans into investing into fine wines and spirits. Uh, Casey Alexander from Stoke Newington, North London, arrived in Cleveland to extol the benefits of investment in vintage whiskey casks, purported to buy casks from distillers and store them in a warehouse in Britain while they steadfastly appreciated in value according to the court papers. Uh, Matthew Scalise, an FBI agent, said the trip was part of a wide-ranging and lucrative fraud in which uh, Alexander and several unnamed co-conspirators targeted more than 150 elderly Americans and persuaded them to invest in 30 million in a whiskey company. One was Charles Wynne, who identifies itself on LinkedIn as a specialist in fine wines that acquires the scarcest wines in the districts of Bordeaux and Burgundy. The other was Windsor Jones, who claimed a handpicked team consultants who focus on investment in fine-grade luxury wine. 
A video of the Windsor Jones website features Roman Cyburn, a respected master sommelier who worked with Gordon Ramsay, striding along sun-dappled avenues and seated on the steps of Bordeaux's chateau, explaining the enduring appeal of the nation's wines. Sabon told the Times that the video was shot 10 years ago as part of a series for his website. About six months ago, one of his contacts in the wine business said he'd seen one of the videos of Windsor Jones's website. I never gave them any permission to use any of my stuff. He added that it was not uncommon for the wine industry for allegedly fraudulent companies to use videos to add a veneer of legitimacy. They chose an English sounding name, use colors like British Racing Green on their website and show somebody with an English accent. Hello old boy, if you want to try something as smoky and as silky smooth as my dulcet tones, my delicious accent, as I drive along in this MG that's British Racing Green, then try this delicious, delectable scotch. I shall, chap. Try this super-duper 30-month-old Macallan. It's been aged in cherry casks and made from waters from the heavenly burns of Scotland. Normally it costs over 5,000 quid, but we recently acquired a limited consignment at a knockdown price. Because from your off on the mighty UFSA, my governor says that you can have it for a thousand quid cash. And because you can throw in an exclusive McDonald's clan membership and a Ben Nevis haggis caught only yesterday, how many cases can I put you down for? Apparently sitting on a ball whilst working is great for concentration. One of those aerobic balls that's a little bit squishy. On a similar subject though, I got this on my Instagram feed. The AI elves were trying to persuade me to join a company and sign up for Manscaped. Basically, it's big grooming energy. This company and the AILs assume that I need better manscaping habits and they sent me videos of using their tools whilst trying to shave a lemon. Well, those sort of areas do not look like lemons, but they did send another video of um, one of their tools trying to shave a kiwi fruit. Now, I think a kiwi fruit's more like it. And it's a little bit more fuzzy, so it's a little bit more realistic. It's also rather sort of philanthropic as well, is that when you're manscaping and doing your business, whether you're shaving your lemon or your kiwi fruit, um, then you can also check yourself for testicular cancer. So that's sort of a marvelous mission statement, isn't it? Take more care and manscape yourself, and also make sure you don't have testicular cancer. I mean, thank God they didn't do the old thing that barbers used to be trained. When they were trained to shave with uh, one of the straight edge razors, they had to be trained to shave using a balloon. Now, I think that might make my eyes water if they were using, if this manscaping company was using their product, basically trying to shave a balloon. Pop goes the weasel. Really impressed my darling the other day with my knowledge of the study of butterflies. And I said, did you know that the study of butterflies is lepidoptery? Yes, lepidoptery. She said, how on earth do you know that? And I pointed out that the butterfly that just flew past was a red admiral. She was very, very impressed. The useless Renaissance man uh, information that I have on a whim. But then a day or so later, I saw another butterfly. I said, that's a swallowtail. She looked it up and indeed it was a swallowtail. I do feel like I'm a little bit of a fraud because two of the most common butterflies are the Red Admiral and the Swallowtail. 
And if you see a butterfly, you've got a 50% chance. Maybe in the UK you get the cabbage white as well, but you've got a 50% chance of getting it right if you say it's a red admiral or indeed a swallowtail. But I spent much of my youth, I had a little book of butterflies given to me with hundreds and hundreds of pages and I spent many a moon on the chamber pot studying butterflies from this little book. Hence me becoming a lepidopterist. A brewer, a farmer and a builder helped found first class cricket 250 years ago. Driving up Hambledon Road, there's little clue to what awaits at the upcoming right turn. This is countryside all right, and seldom is a soul to be seen. There is little fanfare for what was around the corner. For the whole of the 19th century, there was no cricket here. But before then, at Broad Halfpenny Down, this is where the sport grew up. There's been more than 60,000 first-class cricket matches, but on the June the 24th and 25th, 1772, 250 years ago, this last Friday, the match known as the Cricket Archive at F1 took place. The first first-class match. This hidden, expansive grass in Hampshire was its home. Cricket has long been uh, played for a long time before then, but scorecards were scarce. There are remnants such as the match between England and Kent of the Honourable Artillery Company in 1744, but since 1772, pre-American Revolutionary War and 15 years before the MCC was founded, scorecards became common. The association of the cricket statisticians and historians ruled that this fixture was regarded as the first of the lot. First class was until the 1963 Gillette Cup ushered in List Day cricket and was the only elite format. Broad halfpenny down, once a place of trade is as remote as it was then, to watch cricket there is to feel like there's nothing else in the world. There is a sound of breeze blowing through the trees, birdsong, and cars traveling slowly up Hyden Farm Lane. In harvest season, tractors elevate the surrounded sound. The field slopes away on both sides from the pavilion near the road. It looks like fielders on the opposite side could disappear into Wiltshire to find the ball chasing into the sunset on beautiful days. The views in both directions are much the same as they've always been. Downs on one side, the bat and ball in, once known as the hut, now a fuller's, is on the other. For that first match was 500 guineas, that's 85,000 in today's change. Money and betting were important business and there was plenty of corruption, max fiction and dispute in those days. There was chicanery too. In 1771, White had come out with a bat that was the width of the stumps. Shortly after a maximum width was in instituted, the bat and ball among a trove of memorabilia on its walls as a copy of the minutes at which this decision was made. Cricket was different then. Underarm bowlers sent down four balls overs in matches of no fixed length. Scores were low and batting orders often listed in orders of social status. From aristocrats down to the rustics. It was not until 1775 that Stevens brought about the addition of a middle stump after sending the ball between the wickets three times against Small. Mark the anniversary and all England 11 will take on Hampshire's All-Stars at Broad Halfpenny Down on Friday with a women's fixture on Saturday. Jack Russell, the former England wicketkeeper, will paint the scene from the boundary. In the England Scrotter, represented a disability in club cricket, the actor Rory Kinnear and former professionals such as Chris Tremlett and Charlotte Edwards. Some of my favourite headlines of the week, TV psychologist Joe Hemmings sues plastic surgeon over pixie ear facelift. Or maybe earlift. Uh, lacy boxes are big draws for Japanese men. And have you got an SFD, a short flirty dress?
Lacy boxer shorts that combine the features of underwear for both sexes are designed to glamorize the male parts are an unexpected hit in Japan. The lace boxer by the Japanese underwear company Wakol, uh, priced at £24, a pair is sold out even after production lines have expanded. This garment comes in seven colors, including pink, yellow, pale blue, and combines the delicacy of female underwear with the more robust support traditionally provided by boxer shorts. Glamorous front comfort designed to comfortably wrap around the male part and glamorize it. It feels different from the pants I usually wear, says one reviewer. Being conscious of wearing lacy pants gave me an upsurge of energy. Men hardly have a chance to wear it and I experience the sensations of women who pay a lot of attention to lace. And this restaurant wants you to speak to the manager. Karen's Diner, novelty establishment, encouraging patrons to tap into their inner white lady, is to open the United Kingdom next month. The eatery is setting up shop in the city of Sheffield, and customers can expect rude waiters and non-existent manners. In turn, the owners hope disgruntled patrons will go full Karen, venting their anger and dismay at the world. Great burgers and rude service. Get ready to live out your Karen's dreams. In recent years, Karen has become a slang term to describe the disgruntled middle-aged white woman prone to causing a public scene whenever she doesn't get her way. Karens are usually American, so the UK restaurant will partially poke fun at the United States and its cultural stereotypes. Sydney restaurant boasts a range of burgers, including the basic Karen, the fiery Karen, and the Karen's Got Real Beef. And there's also a Karen burger with the name Karen's Best Breast and France has been battered by hailstones bigger than golf balls. Apparently they surrendered and waved white flags at the invading hailstones. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Thank you for really coaxing me through my sunburn and slight sunstroke today. So I'm sorry if I haven't got as much energy as possible. It's been, I have to say it's been a real struggle. So if this is, if this is one of my worst podcasts ever, then I promise you I will do better in the future. But I'm dehydrated. I need to sort of probably set up a drip whilst doing this podcast. But I manfully, manfully plowed through for you on, uh, on this Sunday edition, this Sunday sermon service edition of the podcast. If you like the podcast, like and subscribe where you can. And you can do that uh, on many different platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Slacker Breaker, uh, also uh, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and listen on Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. You can basically listen anywhere. If you decide to fold your baguette into the golf bag, as the sinews and tendons, as the dough gently twists and turns and folds in half, you can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating from that crusty but deliciously doughy baguette. If you like music though, you can listen to a Butler Emporium playlist edition where it's basically tunes, tunes, you got tunes, medallions, interspersed with the usual rambling nonsense today from a slightly rosy-cheeked host. Coming up next, we have a poem. I saw this in the week and I thought it was absolutely marvellous. You carried me as a child and held onto my hand you loved and treasured me every day and taught me how to stand of all the scary things in life that i could ever fear nothing is so frightening as you're not being here but you taught me how to be strong and you taught me how to stand even when you aren't here 
to hold on to my hand. I'm grateful for what you taught me. I'm grateful for your love. And I know that you watch over me from heaven up above. To let you know in terms of the itinerary, uh, I will. there will be no podcast this coming Friday, but I will be back again for a weekend edition. So there will be one edition this coming week of Keep Calm and Colorful Cheese, just to let you know so you're not thinking, where's a Friday edition? I need to refresh. I need to refresh. Is he there yet? Is he there yet? Well, I will be there in about a week's time for the uh, single edition of the podcast this coming week. But I hope you have a fabulous week. And until next time, cheerio for now.